It's April 8th, 2015, and welcome to another edition of Bite Marks Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's technology. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. First, we'll cover a couple of local science and tech stories. Then we'll speak about a shared affliction that many geeks have with Nicole Horry here from High Capacity, an event coming called Domi- Domain Night. Then Jay Fidel joins us to give us an update on the next Think Tech panel. And finally, we'll talk about keeping up with enterprise technology with Brian Chi from This Week in Enterprise Tech and Gordon Bruce from Paxa. Have your questions and thoughts ready to call in or tweet, but first the headlines. Hawaii's roster of in-demand software developers will grow by 22 people today with the graduation of the latest cohort from local coding bootcamp Dev League. The latest class is also notable for its 50% female enrollment, part of an effort to promote gender diversity in a male-dominated industry. Previously uh, featured here on Bite Marks Cafe, Dev League has just wrapped up its third and fourth cohorts and is preparing to kick off its fifth later on this month. Applications are still coming in for the class, which begins in May, and not all who apply will make it given a set 5 to 1 student to teacher ratio. Dev League co-founder Russell Chang said that every member of their first two cohorts last year found jobs. That 100% job placement rate included six local companies and two on the mainland with salaries ranging from 40 to $60,000. In fact, one graduate he says was a huge outlier that earned way more. That success offsets Dev League's $10,000 tuition, which can also be offset by scholarships, tuition assistance loans, and grants from a federal workforce development program. The traditional Dev League course is a 12-week program spanning 11 hours uh, per day, six days a week. The year brings uh, uh, a part-time track with classes two nights a week, all day Saturday for 26 weeks. The boot camp also leads classes and workshops for middle and high school students. Robbie Melton, executive director of HTDC, said in a statement, Dev League and its boot camp are serving an immense need in our economy and helping these students find fast-growing uh, jobs and are in high, that are in high demand, helping us reach our goal of creating more tech and innovation jobs in Hawaii. You know, i got to hand it to uh, Russell Chang for, you know, kind of coming up with this idea, coming up with the Dev League. Uh, you, know, at, at, you know, in the beginning, the price tag seemed a little bit high, but he's been successful at filling those cohorts and, and actually getting them real jobs. And becoming part of basically kind of a growing national network of these coding boot camps. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of conversation about them and the role they play, but you know you can't argue with 100% job placement rate from everybody that was participating last year. The classes are getting bigger, so I think that's certainly a sign of success. Um, I've always thought about going through it, but you know that commitment is pretty high-level one, too. I mean, they're not kidding about 11, day, you know, 11 hours a day for six days a week. I, it's good that this year they're starting the part-time program. And and it was good to note that they also do other smaller programs. Um, they've done Minecraft programming mm-hmm, sessions mm-hmm. for like Iolani and Mid-Pacific. And uh, that's something that my son has been interested in too. Oh, so there good. could be, still be a way to participate in a I also wanted program. to add that uh, the graduation party is tonight yes. over at M, uh, which is over at Restaurant Row. And if you are in the vicinity of Restaurant Row, you can join them at 6 o'clock tonight. Yeah. And that's for like the Wetware Wednesday. That's right. If you want to hire one of them, though, you're going to have yeah. to get in line. Yeah. <laughs> Governor David Ige today announced his pick for the state's new chief information officer and head of the Office of Information Management and Technology. Todd Nakapoi is currently a senior technical account manager at Microsoft. The governor's office says that Nakapoi was responsible for all premier commercial services in the state. Prior to that, he was with a senior infrastructure specialist for EDS, which monitored and optimized web services for the Navy and Marine Corps. 
At EDS, he was responsible for the architecture and implementation of a 65,000 user network into the Pacific network for both branches of the military. Nakapoi graduated from Seattle University with a degree in finance and accounting. In announcing his pick, which must be confirmed by the state Senate, Governor Ige said that Nakapoi has the right mix of technical and business skills to upgrade the state's uh, technology infrastructure and will focus first on modernization projects that will have the greatest impact. The governor said in a statement, My commitment to an enhanced IT system is based in my strong desire to improve public access to government services that will ultimately result in improved public trust in state governance. Nakapoi will succeed OIMT Deputy Director and Interim CIO Keoni Kali, who assumed the lead role after the state's first CIO, Sunny Bagawalia, left Hawaii after being appointed CIO of the Federal Treasury Department in October. Now, I've uh, met Todd and in, in, uh, in his uh, working with Microsoft, and I think he's been at Microsoft for quite a while. So uh, as uh, as the one of the account lead account managers, he's been dealing with all the big major accounts. Uh, that that uh, take in um, Microsoft as a product. In fact, uh, you know he would probably be good for our enterprise section of this show today. That's true. Perhaps he should call in. But That's yes, right. I mean enterprise level. In fact, I would imagine he probably inter- interacted with the state. Mm-hmm. You know, this position uh, in that press release, he talks about his experience in planning, vendor selection, implementation, troubleshooting, all things that I think are relevant to what the OIMT is attempting to do in terms of the consolidation of the IT in the state. Uh, in the same announcement, we should mention that the governor also announced his pick for the head of the D. Uh, was it the deal? deal uh, no, it was, was uh, the, it was the uh, um, labor and right. yeah, industrial relations. So uh, that's Linda Chu Takayama. She was uh, formerly uh, with the Honolulu County and uh, former insurance commissioner. So a couple of announcements today. Yeah, good stuff. And finally, here's a couple of stories we wanted to share with you. The Institute for Astronomy at the University of Hawaii at Manoa is hosting its annual open house this Sunday, April 12th from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m., there will be hands-on science activities for kids and special special exhibits from partners like Bishop Museum and the Pacific Aviation Museum is free with free parking across the street at Noalani School. And for more information, you can visit ifa.hawaii.edu. One of my favorite family-friendly geek mm-hmm. events. Also, the local chapter of the Society for the Advancement of Hispanics, Chicanos, and Native Americans in Science is hosting the group's regional meeting next weekend. The theme of the event is Advancing Under represented minorities in STEM, and the meeting will feature a career opportunities workshop, research symposium, and awards ceremony. For more information, you can visit sacnashawaii.com. And of course, we'll have the link for you in our show notes at bitemarkscafe.org. That's that's true. Later on tonight, uh, when I get home. (laughs) (laughs) Well, joining us is Nicole Horry from High Capacity, and she's here to tell us about the upcoming event called Domain Night. Welcome to the show, Nicole. Thank you for having me. Now, why why don't you start off by telling us uh, what exactly are you referring to by domain, with the word domain? Uh, domain is a address for a website mm-hmm. that you can just go on and uh, buy from uh, different providers. So all it takes really is some creativity. You might have to try a few names before you find one that's available, and then a credit card. And for ten dollars a year or so, you have a domain. Now uh, Ryan said that you know there is a sort of a special affliction that uh, <laughs> kind of <laughs> hampers many of us, and sometimes we have ideas, we brainstorm, we come up with. Uh, unique domains and the first thing we do is we go out there and register them and you know I, I probably have a handful of them and, and I know Ryan probably has a, a boatload full of them yeah, and I mean, of course I, these I, things I, just you I, know like stay idle right? Right I've had Bert Lum as a geekgod.com and I knew what it was going to be but I just can't find the time to do something with it so I like that. Uh, I like what that. exactly is going to be the format of Domain Night? 
We're going to start off with a short talk, but most of the domain night is just going to be people talking about their own domain. So I'm asking everyone to submit up to four. We know people have a lot more, but you may have to save some for future events because mm. this will be recurring. Mm-hmm. And uh, then we'll just have them on a slideshow. And when yours pops up, if you're ready to say a couple sentences about it, let people know why you bought it maybe. Okay, or- so so if... if- <laughs> if Ryan presents, you know, Birdlum is a geek dot, <laughs> dot com. I and mean, then everyone jumps up and is like, oh, I, I want to help that. you build that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I love Bert I think as well. I think you'll hear crickets. <laughs> well, Nicole, I have to ask you, as as the organizer of this, uh, and, and it seems so perfect. I don't know how many times at geek events we've sat around saying, you know, I had this idea for this thing with this thing, and I bought blankety-blank.com, and all I need is some time, or all I need is some talent, all I need is a developer. Would you be willing to share, perhaps, um, a domain name that you can't that can't be lost because it is yours that you are that you're you're thinking of sharing with people? Um, I'm definitely <laughs> going to share bicold.com. Bicold.com. Yeah, yeah. I have a long-standing uh, passion for making bicycle infrastructure more friendly and just you know providing bicycle parking for people. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. this is a concept where you just have a modular biking parking system that goes into any parking spot and then um, you have room for six bikes to you know be individually enclosed in it. So it's not just a domain name though. That sounds no, like it's so a I have whole, this whole business. Idea behind it. It's mm-hmm. a whole dream. And I think there's a lot of people who, you know, will have a story behind each domain name they have. You know, you <laughs> ought to re reactivate Benjo. Oh, Lord. Go binge. <laughs> yes, our uh, our toilet review site. Somehow I don't think it's going to be <laughs> as quite as successful. So you'll have a variety of different people in the audience that perhaps might want to team up with the holder of that domain name and maybe form some sort of a collaboration? Yeah, well, that's why we'll have uh, time to mingle afterward. Okay. So you can follow up with people if you thought their domain name was interesting or if, you know, it showed that they had an interest in something that you also are interested in, mm-hmm, maybe you mm-hmm. could form a team. It wouldn't necessarily have to be that domain, but I think it's a really neat way of getting to know people and finding out more about them. Well, oh. you know, it reminds me of something that Eric Nakagawa, who's uh, who's from Hawaii and is now a successful uh, uh Actually, he's with Facebook now. He just got picked up by Facebook. Really? But um, he started a site also where it was like, if we all have these domain names, let's put them all in one place so we can trade. Like, I like bikehold.com and Bert, you know, he would like to have uh, Bert Lum as a geek, god.com so, like, we could work out a trade. So I can see that also being a possibility that, like, you just bring – it's a sort of a swap meet, really, oh, for domain names. Maybe that's where I heard that from. I know, you know, uh, Eric had something called uh, Icon Has Cheeseburger, and that's a very creative uh, domain name. Well, it made him. So, uh, so tell us, where, when, where is this going to take This place? is going to be at Box Jelly mm-hmm. in Kaka'ako. It's going to be next Monday night, April 13th, from 6 to 8 p.m. Sounds good. Uh, I think I'm going to try and make it. I'll share some of my domain Oh, names. good, good. Well, thanks, Nicole, for joining us. Thank you. And uh, now joining us is Jay Fidel, famous, the famous Jay Fidel from ThinkTech. And he's here to tell us about an upcoming panel on offshore investments. Welcome to the show, Jay. Hey, thanks, Bert. Nice to be here. Nice to see you guys. Yeah, well, you know, so offshore, I mean, what kinds of stuff is happening offshore? Offshore from anywhere else. Anywhere else? This is money coming in, being invested in Hawaii from anywhere else. Oh, I see. So this is uh, not necessarily uh, like one of the things that came off uh, the top of my head was, you know, these uh, offshore tech parks. So that has nothing to do with no, offshore no, nor, nor offshore wind farms. Got it. Got <laughs> Not it. That got, either. It <laughs> got it. So the idea is that any money that's coming into Hawaii outside of domestic U.S. money is considered offshore investment. Well, for this discussion, got it. Got you it. Know, but you know, we we've had a number of things in the paper lately involving billions of dollars of offshore investment that uh, you know maybe 
may be in trouble. You know, TMT, for example, 30-meter telescope, um, they've been working 10 years to do this project. Mm -hmm. No sooner do they try to break ground, then there's another 10 years of dialogue. I use that term advisedly. Mm -hmm. Uh, So what you have is um, a lot of money being held up. Uh, Likewise, uh, Comcast, Comcast actually is not being held up. Uh, That's a decision made by the uh, FTC, make that the FCC Mm -hmm. in Washington. And I think that probably that will be granted and Comcast is be merging with uh, Time Warner Mm -hmm. uh, for $2.3 billion, bringing new money in, new technology, new investment in facilities. But the big one, of course, is $4.3 billion. Uh, with NextEra, NextEra, right. you know, merging with Hawaiian Electric, again, new technology, new money, new jobs, uh, new possibilities for Hawaii, and so this all raises the issue about: uh, is it enough? Is this enough money coming in from offshore to be invested in Hawaii businesses and Hawaii technologies? And we want to explore that. So we have uh, Paul Brubaker. Uh, from TZ Economics. Yes. She's an economist. We have Christine Camp. She's a local developer. Mm-hmm. A lot of feist there. Local girl gets to be a developer. Uh, Mike Fergus, he's a he's a real estate investor himself. Carl Fuchs, you guys know Carl mm-hmm. Fuchs from mm-hmm. DBED and Hawaii Strategic Development Corporation. Brenda Foster, she knows about Chinese money. Uh, and it's a big question about is it really here? Is it coming here? What is it doing? What is it buying? Is it buying businesses or, or just high-end real estate condos? Gerald Sumita, a lawyer with Carl Smith Ball, uh, he has been around tech for most of his career, and he has a lot to say about some of these projects. Mm-hmm. We'll hear about him on a variety of them. And John Wallenstrom from Forest City. Forest City uh, built a lot of housing in, in Kaneohe, uh, the Marine Corps there. And Forest City has done solar farms and is doing uh, uh, projects for housing and affordable housing. So, I, you know, we, we really want to find out how important it is to technology and to our economy mm-hmm. and how much of it there is. Because, you know, unless you... Go look and you find people who are knowledgeable. You don't know. It doesn't appear in the paper exactly how much money is coming in or not coming in and how important it is. So we wanted the economists. We wanted to know about regulating big, big investment. You know, big thing with NextEra is are we going to impose conditions on them as a condition of approving that transaction because they're a regulated industry? Um, query, what should the conditions be? How do we regulate companies coming in making big investments? You know, there's two polars. One is... We get paranoid, and we don't trust anybody. So we say the state that says no, give them all a hard time. And then the other one is the cargo cult thing. If it comes from far away, it must be good, so let's say yes. And half the time, I think we make a mistake and go the wrong direction. The idea is to be moderated in the middle, make good conditions, and that's why Gerald Sumitra will be there. We want to incentivize investment in tech, of course. You know, and we want Carl Fuchs to tell us what we need to do in terms of tax credits. You remember Act 221, don't oh, you? Yes. I know you do. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> so do we need that back? Do we need something like that? Are we getting enough investment? You know, David Watermull, the day I started looking at tech, he said you know, he's from uh, uh, Cardax Pharmaceutical. Mm-hmm. He said you can't have tech without, without serious investment because you have to move fast. You need to be funded. Okay, and, and does that still apply today? I mean, tech is – you know, redefined itself, and maybe it's different things than it was 15 years ago, but the reality is you still need money to do it. We're not getting the money we want from Wall Street. We're not getting the money we want from Silicon Valley. We're limping along. What can we do? Carl will tell us. Um, Brenda Foster, as I mentioned, Chinese, she just came back from a stint in Shanghai as the president of the American Chamber of Commerce there. She follows the action. She knows who in China is investing with us and what they're doing. And I'm really curious to hear what she has to say. The other thing is we want to know from her is how do you attract the Chinese money and how do you – 
regulates the wrong word, but how do you make sure that it goes in a, in a place that's um, good for the community? You know? you know, some of the examples that you just brought up, I mean, I can see where there's big money coming in from, let's say, as an example, Canada. Canada just put in $250 million to the uh, TMT. Uh, and then, of course, with Nextera and, and with Comcast, there, there's money involved with that. But I'm, I'm curious, how does that money trickle into the, let's say, the innovation economy? Well, that's so interesting you asked that. Two points on your, on your comment, Bert. Number one is you have to recognize that a lot of money that comes in from the mainland or from Canada actually comes in from Asia. Mm-hmm. It's a two-step. Capital, you know, we live in a world, a global world of, of investment now. The money can come from anywhere, even places you don't like it necessarily. Um, that's the first point I make. The other thing is different kinds of investment yield different results for Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Some investment is going to create a lot of jobs. Others are not going to create a lot of jobs. You know, there are REITs that have bought enormous pra- tracts of land in the state. All they want to do is take the highest possible rents and put it to the, you know, the most profitable purpose. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't care about the mom and pops, and they don't care about, uh, you know, supporting the Pop Warner baseball team. Um, so it depends on the kind of investment as to what it'll do here. And we ought to be watching that. Uh, so we have Christine Camp going to talk about making them good corporate citizens. If they come in here, we have expectations. They'll do the right thing for the community. They'll be here with us, enjoying the culture, enjoying the environment, not just, you know, doing a coupon clip. <laughs> we, yes, we have control, and we ought to exercise it. And you're going to have, a, on the other end of this, I guess, maybe a list for uh, Randy Wase and the PUC to kind of work from in terms of Exactly, Ryan. That's exactly what we're talking about. We're talking about giving him suggestions for the kind of conditions that he can impose. You know, we, we think that people in these programs, you know, ought to, A, they ought to break the doldrums and get these projects moving. You know, the silent majority is not up at the top of Mauna Kea protesting. Mm-hmm. It's the activists up there. And we think the silent majority ought to speak and the silent majority ought to talk about the kinds of conditions that apply to these big investments. And and to get things moving, we want astronomy to move. We want agritech to move. Technology, filmmaking, manufacturing, inter-island transportation. Do you remember the super ferry? Hey, the super ferry. <laughs> housing. We want more housing, affordable housing, not just in Kaka'ako, but all over. And we want transportation, whether it's rail or all the multimodal transportation. Somebody's got to put some money in. Like bike infrastructure, perhaps. Exactly, like exactly. That. All right, Jay, I love that you're fired up. Yeah, so if somebody up. wants to <laughs> participate. Better, let me or, tell you where and when. Yes, that's, that's right. a good idea. <laughs> Next Thursday, right? Uh, April 16th at Laniakea, as always. Come there at 1130. We'll have a nice lunch. The program runs from noon to 1.30. You'll be glad you did. Next Thursday. Wow, Jay. Whoa. ThinkTech.com. I'm all fired up. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, Jay, for joining us. And, of course, that's what's Thank been you, happening Brian. this Thank week. Thank you, Ryan. <laughs> we'll take a short break. And when we return, we'll be joined by Brian Chi and Gordon Bruce to talk about enterprise tech. What are some of the challenges facing large corporate systems? We'd, of course, love to hear your thoughts or questions as part of that conversation. You can give us a call at 941-3689 or toll-free from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. And, of course, we're live in the studio. You can tweet us at Bite Marks or at Hawaii. This is Bite Marks Cafe. Every day on Morning Edition, it's the news you can't do without. This morning, we've been looking at what's happening. There's conservatism, libertarianism, environmentalism, religion. We're not props. We're just everyday people. The crowd, the joy, the sense of hope. Historic. Listen to the next Morning Edition from NPR News. Weekday mornings from 5 to 8.30 on HPR One. 
It may have fallen off of your radar, but just because Hawaii's meth problem hasn't gotten a lot of attention, it hasn't gone away either. Tomorrow on The Conversation, we'll speak with Georgiana DaCosta. She's the interim executive director at the Hawaii Meth Project. We'll talk tomorrow morning at 8 on The Conversation. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Whole Foods Market Hawaii, Ferraro Choi, and Ulupono Initiative. Welcome back to Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. And joining us today is Brian Chi and Gordon Bruce. Brian Chi is the co-host of a very popular TWIT program, uh, program This Week in Tech, but this is, is called This Week in Enterprise Tech with Father Robert Balliser. And of course, he's also a communications researcher over at the University of Hawaii School of Ocean and Earth Science and Technology. Gordon, meanwhile, is the chairman and CEO of PAXA, one of Hawaii's largest IT services company. He was previously director of the Department of Information Technology and chief information officer for the city and county of Honolulu. And speaking of Think Tech, he is also the host of a weekly technology talk story show called Hibachi Talk. He bachi talks, <laughs> and maybe he'll do his uh, Angus. Uh, he'll introduce Angus. Yeah. Uh, what about uh, what about enterprise keeps us up or keeps you guys up at night? We'd love to hear your comments and suggestions. And that number to call here is nine four one three six eight nine on Oahu or eight seven seven nine four one three six eight nine from the neighbor islands. Welcome. Brian and Gordon to Bite Marks Cafe. Thank you very much. How you doing there, lad? <laughs> <laughs> and suddenly very it's good, Angus, Angus again. Yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, Gordon, why don't you give us a, um, you know, just so that we kind of get a sense of the perspective size. I mean, not, normally we're talking consumer tech for the most part, but enterprise tech. I mean, what are we, what are we looking at when we talk enterprise tech? Well, in 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 our. Uh, looking at it from a Paxis perspective is you know, if you think about enterprise tech and I don't care if your enterprise is one person, everybody thinks large, mm-hmm. you can have a one person mm-hmm. shop or you could have a hundred thousand person shop and um, just name one type of business today that can't live without tech, you know, and your, com- your competitors will nail you um, and you have to have, you have to have it. And we'll talk about it a little bit further when we get down the road. So for me, enterprise tech is everything from A to Z, small guy, large guy, you need the services. You need to be current. You need to be on top of it. And your enterprise, mm-hmm. and, and so in your own mind, how large your enterprise is, needs to have the services and support but you the, need. But the, the work that you do primarily over at the PAXA now is probably dealing with our community of mid to large size companies, right? Not at all. We have clients as large as one. Wow. And as large okay. as 100,000 okay. and everything in between. Okay. So it's, it's a combination of those kinds of things. And you've just got to look at it. If you're running a small, let's say, three-operation three restaurant, mm-hmm. um, is that a large enterprise or is that a small enterprise? Mm-hmm. Maybe you've got 150 employees. You've got all your point-of-sale systems. You've got all your back financial systems. You've got all your consumer systems, you know, all your product, your inventory, all of that. Is that small or large? To me, that's, I look at it, that's large. Mm-hmm. Even a mm-hmm. one restaurant operation is large. Yep. And Brian, you know, you also run the gamut, I would say. I mean, I know you from IT and UH, but also from the maker movement and sort of the grassroots movement. Um, and I think one of the things that enterprises, large or small, are dealing with is that the line between consumer and enterprise is pretty blurry. And the fact is that 
before when you talked about enterprise tech, it would be how do we deploy a hundred uh, BlackBerry pagers and how do we uh, all have the same cloned system on everyone's desk? And now we're to the point where people want to use their own phones, they want to bring their own laptops, but they still have to somehow integrate with a larger group, the larger company. I mean, is there is there any way to to separate things, or is this blended environment the new future? Well, a lot of a lot of what I tell people about the separation between the consumer and the enterprise is repeatability and supportability. Um, one of my past lives, I was actually a senior computer scientist with GSA Office of Information Security, and some of the projects I did were like the Pentagon renovation, so mm-hmm. a good-sized project. Well, a lot of people say, well, I'm a computer geek. I can support mom's computer just fine. I can, I can do an enterprise job, and I, I beg to differ. Um, the number one cost of IT isn't the equipment, isn't the software. It's the human resources to support it. You're investing in training. You're investing in a lot of things. Um, our friends at Gartner Group have – stated that every time a support person goes out to a desk to go and fix anything, even before they open their mouth, it costs you 65 bucks. And if you can do more things with, say, interns or your first, lo- your first tier of support people, you keep the cost down. That's one of the big tricks about enterprise now. It's how much is it going to cost you to run that IT infrastructure? And that's some of the things that we concentrate a lot on this week in enterprise tech. How much is it going to cost the enterprise? What perspectives do you have to take? And is this technology really going to let you give more services for less money because, unfortunately, the economy is driving everybody to that, and I'm certainly seeing that a lot in university. <laughs> mm-hmm. How did you How did you happen to get on the the radar of the Twit guys and, and end up doing you know co-hosting this week in enterprise tech? Well, I was the one that actually hung Padre on Father Robert. He was actually a um, he wasn't even a priest then. He was still going through Jesuit school. Uh huh. And he and I got to be good friends uh, and through this the Interop show. Okay, yeah, and we, we want to talk about Interop because that's one of the long-standing computer networking conferences that I used to go to back, you know, back in the good old days. In the, in, I think it was like in the late '80s, and it's still going on. But but go back to your story about uh, Robert Ballister. I mean, he's uh, well. You know, anyway, he, he's a big fan of the Twit TV network, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. he was actually on the chat room and saying, "Oh, we're, I'm heading over," and you know, he and I were leaving Hot Stage where we build Interop. And we're driving over, and Leo is tweeting about you know this and that, and he goes, "Hey, Father Robert, how would you like to be on the show?" Mm-hmm. So Father Robert went on the show. I was in the audience, and Leo actually offered him the job of running an enterprise show right on the air live. Wow, that's pretty cool. That is, that is. No, and, of course, and Bert uh, and I, of course, are longtime viewers of the Twit Network, and we love <laughs> seeing a, a local face on that mm-hmm, uh, on that, mm-hmm. that network. And and you know anybody who kind of follows the tech scene will probably be familiar with This Week in Tech and, and some of the other shows like This Week in Google and, you know. Well, Gordon, let's talk about your multimedia enterprise. We mentioned Angus, which I think after all of the chuckling we need to clarify is actually a different guest who makes a regular appearance on your uh, Think Tech uh, video show um, on OC16 and on the Think Tech Network on, on YouTube as well. Angus is a is a, a smaller person. Yeah, rather mini me. Right, right. So <laughs> what, is the, what is the background? Because it's not an enterprise show. It's a general tech th- talk show. Yeah, it's, it's just a, a rather tongue-in-cheek look at tech. Mm-hmm. Rather than, uh, than make it geek-focused, we just try to make it business-focused. But we also try to make it look at, at employee-focused. You know, why are there only 25% of the women in tech? 
why are not more women in tech? We have had, we've had half of our guests have been females to talk about, and they've been involved in tech and what they've done. Uh, those kinds of things. It's a show that's just trying to make people be entertained for forty five minutes, but learn something about in tech, but not doing the deep dive that you guys do. Mm-hmm. You know, we guys keep kind of keep it at that that higher that higher level, uh, that inquisitive level. So at the end, we're not going to answer all your questions. At the end, we hope to give you a lot of questions that so you want to ask. how can someone catch uh, uh, Hibachi Talk? Yeah, Hibachi Talk, you can get it at ThinkTech every Friday at uh, noon till 1. And then, like you said, you can go to YouTube and do Hibachi Talk on YouTube. Um, and then um, we've been picked up on Olelo and OC16 for a couple of shows. I mean, our last guest last week was a, was a 15-year-old student from uh, Kamehameha Schools. And he wants to be the president and CEO of a 14 500 company and so the question is to him so what do you expect in tech what was really interesting he uh, when he, we asked him what he wanted he talked about current software uh, mobile devices uh, uh, hardware on his desktop he never asked about a back a big office a, a car a limo or right, he right. wanted technology uh-huh. now you said earlier that of course any business that's uh, you know worth their weight and salt is is going to be a uh, you know have some element of technology that's going to enable them to do what it is that they do so everybody has to have uh, some degree of understanding of what this tech is is able to do for them right. now from the largest uh, environments like when you were a CIO over at the uh, city and county one of the challenges I would imagine is the fact that you know like like Brian said I mean there's all kinds of disparate systems going on that were previous to your getting you know getting involved and then, and then going to probably last beyond your involvement how do you how do you manage through the constant changing technology landscape that now is quickly changing well that's that's perhaps the largest challenge especially in government you know you look at the state and I'm not picking on the state but you know their technologies are are quite considerably older mm-hmm. and if you look at government Government is a bunch of different businesses running together. Mm-hmm. If you look at planning and permitting, finance department, parks, design and construction, just go down the list, environmental services, just go down the list. They are all different business types, and as a result, all had different business technology infrastructures. And now you have to bring all of those together and into simple simple and singular platforms to keep your costs down. Now, there was a point in time when CIOs would say, it's got to be this or nothing at all. So like if you decided that you wanted to do IBM or you wanted to do Microsoft, most of the times enterprises were going Microsoft and for people to want to bring in a, you know, like a Macintosh or something that was like a no-no. So there was points in time when there were decisions made that were one vendor decisions. Right. Right. That No, no, no. My my philosophy and not everybody, you know, embraces this philosophy is let the application dictate the platform before it used to be let the platform dictate what application you'd have to retrofit into what you had mm-hmm. so now with the you know with the, let the application dictate the platform and 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 i encourage people to read this book called consumption economics we no longer have to put the burden on the buyer on the client we the technology provider solutions provider we should be bearing that burden the majority mm-hmm. of that burden and bringing that forward and allow you to get it in bite-sized chunks and a good example is your mobile phone I mean, you, how many mobile apps do you have at free or 99 cents or whatever? Why can you not do a large-scale enterprise financial system at bite-sized chunk pieces? You don't have to float an RFP for a $100 million financial system that you know within government that you know has a high probability of not 
satisfying being successful right. or even now, satisfying uh, the needs you're referring to something that uh, just recently got changed right with right. our state government right? right there was a big ERP so big ERP they were going to do a large ERP solution set you know they go to bed now and they come out and they say they saved 11 million they spent 11 million dollars on the ERP so 11 million dollars goes out on the ERP now they say they're going to get a lot out of it what about us companies who bid on it and the hundreds of thousands of dollars that we spent over the past Two years to bid on it. We're not going to get a dime of that back. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that's unfortunate. <laughs> We're talking to Brian Shi and Gordon Bruce about enterprise technology and uh, certainly challenges of, of business and technology at any scale, but especially perhaps at large scale. If you've got a question, if you're facing a challenge in your office about how to navigate some of these pitfalls, you can give us a call at 941-3689 or toll free from the neighbor islands at 877-941-3689. So Brian, you host the, you help with this week in enterprise tech, and we did mention a few times Microsoft, our new uh, CIO for the state, has a Microsoft background, and it's pretty much the number one company people use as an example of an enterprise deployment. Uh, how how big a piece of the conversation is Microsoft today? I mean, it still sounds like they are a dominant player. Microsoft is certainly a dominant player within the enterprise, especially because of the way Microsoft has designed their offering and the threading of their product line mm-hmm. to be able to provide consistent interfaces, consistent uh, deployment options, and things like that. Um, you know, not I, I use an I use an Apple Mac, and I love a Mac, and I use an iPad, but the unfortunate thing is. Apple has not done as well on providing enterprise options. Now, the saving grace about this is actually a concept called bring your own device or BYOD. And key to that, that a lot of people keep saying, oh, I want BYOD, I want to bring my own thing. But the the issue is the support and security is a really, really big issue. And one of the things I'm trying to push very hard on is the entire concept of virtual desktop interfaces or first virtual desktop infrastructure, VDI. So that instead of having, you know, if I've got brand X, you know, I've, you know, some sort of incompatible device that won't run Microsoft apps, we want to still be able to accommodate those because that's the trend. People, the users are demanding that. With the concept of a virtual app or a virtual desktop, I can actually pop up a window on device X and still be able to run those custom apps or those legacy apps. Mm-hmm. Virtualization is going to be very, very key in the future. And he who he or she who is not investing in the learning curve is going to possibly have some problems later on. So when you talk about virtualization, are you talking about creating sort of an environment on your Mac or PC that will be able to run that legacy application, whether it be through the browser or through a, a special sort of interface? Well, the easiest way to understand virtualization in this case, virtual desktops, is look at it as a window that is connected to a machine in the data center. Mm-hmm. It almost feels like the old mainframe days. Right. You know, so I, it's I like a, just a, basically a terminal, right? Yeah. And so the graphics are coming through. But the difference is... It's a much richer environment. If you want a touchscreen interface, if you want audio, you want video conferencing, you want you know all ty- these types of things, you can have them now. It's almost the best things of the old mainframe world, but with the modern features and touchy-feely and warm and fuzzy interfaces that the PC can give you. Well, you know, I used to work at a bank, and uh, 
we had to maintain some systems that were basically at some point too old to even maintain on the active network, but still had to run specific applications, maybe relating to old hardware or cache systems or something like that. So virtualization was a saving grace because we could still, I could actually have an iPad, but open it up and there's Windows, there's Microsoft Excel 97 on my iPad, but it was because you could virtualize that environment. Mm-hmm. Um, is virtualization one of the things that uh, you're seeing a lot of in among your clients, Gordon? Yeah, well, mo- mo- most definitely, and especially if you think about, I started on the main frame. So we'll go back to the days mm-hmm, when I was mm-hmm. when I was writing the code with the green screens and so on. So and virtualization is certainly key. One of the key things about infra- about virtualization however is infrastructure. If you don't put the right network infrastructure in place, your virtualization system will come to its knees. We've actually come had to go in, Paxis had to go in and actually bail out organizations that put in virtualization mm-hmm. because as you know, if they didn't put the right infrastructure in place and they tried to put it on top of what they already had, it it came to a failure. So that's that's one thing that definitely you have, you have to keep in mind. In and that example that you're talking about, what, what kinds of uh, um, operating systems are, are you referring to? Was it sort of a... Well, essentially, and uh, I don't want to you know, embarrass, emba- embarrass the, the organization, but they tried to install a large, a large um, application mm-hmm. and use VDI, a virtual desktops, to get to that large applications that handled thousands of transactions per minute. And their infrastructure was the same infrastructure they had in place for 15 years. Mm-hmm. There was no way they had great stuff. You know, in their mind, they had great stuff on the desktop, but they, anything it sat on didn't work. And that was, that was the challenge that they had. Mm-hmm. Now, we had to go in and build up their infrastructure underneath it to get it just to barely limp along. You know, and it still needs a ton of work, but they ran out of money. So they're mm-hmm. stuck sitting now with something that's kind of kind – of, what now, they want was it the, was the thousand transactions that were taking place the limiting factor, and did they have to go over the network? Was they were going network? over, and they were going over their local network. They right. weren't even going over a cloud network. Right. So, could you imagine if they if they they were trying to get VDI to the cloud, which maybe on the mainland, and they have to deal right. with latency? And we've had other clients that had that problem as well, where we actually had to bring. They were doing VDI. We actually had brought the servers back here. And house them in Hawaii because they love the latency issue of getting here to California mm-hmm. and trying to get back. Right, right. And if you're doing something that has to be fast, that's you know that's so, that's what so you the, need. So the the uh, the the I guess the bottleneck that you had uh, encountered wasn't solved with a faster let's say network connection, fiber connection, or you know gig connection to the. Uh, to the there, server. There's more to it than that. <laughs> yeah, there's more to it than just, oh, let me go to T1 or let me go to 100 gig up and 100 gig down. You're in your own network and what else is on that network? Right. Mm-hmm. Brian? Yeah, and a lot of this is doing your homework. If you're not going to invest in trying to understand your network, trying to quantify it, for God's sakes, do a good inventory. You know, that's that's going to be your biggest cost when you bring a consultant in. If you're going to have the consultant do the inventory, you're going to pay a lot of money. But it's all about making sure your people understand it because if your people understand it, they have the possibility of writing tighter bid specs so that vendors like value-added resellers and consultants like Paxa don't have to reinvent the wheel. They have a better chance at giving you a good solution. So if, like, for instance, I'm actually standing up a VDI infrastructure for Copyline Community College right now. And while we're doing some good stuff, there. They want to start expanding this proof of concept. I go, whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait. Let's go and actually try this out. Let's make sure the proof of concept worked because every situation is just a little different. Mm-hmm. And we need to do due diligence. Don't just throw money at it. You know, I, I'd love it if you threw money at it. But, but do your homework. 
you know, do some testing. Uh, gone is the day of a lot of enterprises actually doing load testing. Uh, the American Health Insurance uh, Portal, yes. great, great example. They Load testing devices, load testing systems actually exist. Did they really do a reasonable set of testing? I'm not so sure. But I've seen lots and lots of custom apps just fall flat on their face because they didn't do due diligence. Now, you know, I want to uh, continue this conversation because I kind of want to get the, uh, your take on the differences between how decisions like this get made in a, in a commercial enterprise versus one like in government. So we'll, we'll tackle that. Hold that thought. We'll be right back after the short break to continue our conversation with Brian Chi and Gordon Bruce about strategies for managing large-scale enterprise networks. If we've talked about breaking it down into small pieces, what could that possibly look like? And uh, if you've got a company facing these challenges, we'd, of course, be happy to apply these experts' talents to your issue. You can give us a call at 941-3689 or toll-free from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. I'm Lara, and this is Peggy, my plus one. It was a quick sale. Yeah, it took about two seconds. I said, there's shoelaces. She said, okay. (laughs) I knew that she listened to public radio at least as much as I do, maybe more. And I also know that she likes supporting good causes. One of the things that's impressed me, the, the whole group of employees seems to be supportive of each other. You have a real heart for what you're doing, and that speaks to me. Each week, New Dimensions explores the social, political, scientific, environmental, and spiritual frontiers with some of today's foremost social innovators, thinkers, scientists, and creative artists. Hi, I'm Rebecca Solnit, author of The Far Away Nearby and other books. Next time on New Dimensions, I'll be talking about the power of stories to create and destroy. Sunday morning at 11. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, whose contributors help Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to the St. Andrews Schools, which includes the Priory School for Girls, the Prep for Boys, and Queen Emma Preschool. Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozal. And we're talking to Brian Chi from UH, Twyatt, Maker Fair, and Gordon Bruce from PAXA about integrating and managing systems on the enterprise scale. And of course, you can give us a call if you have a question about enterprise tech. That number is 941-3689 on Oahu or 877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. You know, right before the uh, break, we were talking a little bit about the uh, uh, the need to do a, a complete sort of assessment and what your your let's say systems and network needs are before you bring in consultants. Uh, and if you do that later, the consultants might charge you a, a boatload of money. Unless you're PAX. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But for whether you're a large corporate uh, network or a government, uh, there's a definite need to kind of keep track of what it is that's installed, what's the install base like, and how you have a track or a path to upgrades, right? I'm curious to hear your both of your opinions about what is it? Di- how does it differ from a commercial environment versus a government environment, and why is it that in? I guess obviously commercial can move a little quicker than government, but isn't there the same kind of need for both environments to stay abreast with the technology in order to, you know, be more efficient, be more competitive, be more uh, able to serve its clientele? Well, so uh, I'll let Gordon, me jump yeah. in. Since I, so the, you're absolutely right. You know, you, there, 
there needs to be speed. There needs to be promptness to do that. Um, in the commercial sector, because you're in the business of making money, mm-hmm. that's um, that's got a driving force. You've got to be a, stay a step ahead of your competition. So that 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 in a way forces you to do that. In government, it's the other way around. It's reactive. Mm-hmm. It's not proactive. And then you've got the anchor of. In Hawaii, especially, and all governments are the same within the country, is procurement law. You've mm-hmm. got to fall within the constraints within procurement law. And so if I wanted to go off and do a um, – give you an example. We have clients that have come in and said, um, can you take a look at our infrastructure? And we can go in and we have software and services that we can drop all on their infrastructure and in a matter of a couple of days have a report to them. If the, if the city and county or the state comes in or an agency comes in and said, we want to do it, they have to go through the procurement law process in order to do that. We're talking months. Mm-hmm. And what happens during the course of that months, that period of time? I'll give you a perfect example. The police department had to order PCs for their, for their um, mobile, mobile equipment. They put the bid out, and by the time the bid went out, the device that they had specced was no longer available except from one vendor who had a stockpile of them. And so they bought older technology mm-hmm. because it came out in compliance with the bid. If not, they would have had to go back to square one on the bid. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the major differences between government and, and, and the private sector is agility. Now, is there, there's, there's obviously a recognized uh, challenge with this procurement process that you have to go through. And, and I, I'm sure that if you ask anybody in government, they will all point to that as being you know, sort of the uh, the challenge, <laughs> the, uh, the 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 pound gorilla in the in the room, isn't there an effort to help change that? There, there there is there is an effort to to change that, but there also is within the procurement process. There's ways to use tools within the procurement process. For example, there's Wiska. You can purchase a considerable amount of product and services off of Wiska, and if you are willing to go through the due diligence, which is a lot faster than a bid, and following that Wiska process through the state procurement uh, law, you can get what you need. Mm-hmm. But you have to be diligent, you have to be honest, and you have to have integrity to do that, and don't use it as a shortcut. That's what I did at the city. We did a lot of work because of Wiska. But another one is GSA schedules, and you know about GSA schedules. Guess what? There's one state in the union that's not allowed to buy off a federal GSA schedule, the state of Hawaii. So we can't even buy stuff at a deeper discount off of the GSA schedule because our procurement law won't let us. Mm. So talk about one getting me frustrated. <laughs> I mean, I'm paying $100 for something that I could have got for 45 bucks off of GSA. Right. But now, this br- state won't let me. So, so Brian, why, why can't we buy off of GSA? Politics. No, I, I know the reason. <coughs> the, the state procurement law requires that you be part of that GSA bid. Uh-huh. So when GSA goes out to bid something, you have to sign up to be part of that bid. Uh-huh. Now, we don't have anyone down at the state procurement office who has the time to sign up for every GSA bid that goes I out. See, I see. Mm-hmm. And now we're, we're not just talking technology. We're talking paper products, you know, lawnmowers, whatever you need. Zipmobiles? Uh, so, Brian, you know, at the university <laughs> exactly. is a large, <laughs> the, the university is certainly a large enterprise, and I can see that uh, there's some – there's the old way of thinking of we want the large system that does everything, and then I agree that by the time you've spec'd it out, it's already outdated. So can you give an example of a way that you've been able to chunk down a project into something that is more agile and smaller in pieces? Well, actually, the, uh, the world – the state's – Highest resolution video wall, you know, is actually sitting in the, the cyber Ho- canoe. Yeah, it's it's actually sitting in the Hawaii Institute of Geophysics. It's mm-hmm. a 4K video wall. 
uh, spread across 12 LCD monitors. That actually went out as a request for proposal first. It, it extends the process, but it gave us the ability to respond to changing technologies so that we didn't end up with an older technology by the time we finally purchased it. The other strategy that we're doing is a lot of vendors, especially the large vendors like Dell and IBM and HP, within the enterprise and higher education purchasing um, departments have the ability to do trials. Take advantage of a trial. Actually try it out. See if it's really going to work for you. There's no one that's going to know the process, no one that's going to know the problem better than you. So it is in your best interest to try it. And use the excuse so that you can also bootstrap some of your people and learn about some of the new emerging technologies. The state laws do allow for this. You're probably going to have to pay for shipping both ways to be you know, kosher. But take advantage of it. Try it. Mm-hmm. Don't take the salesman's word for it. Mm-hmm. And no, that's, no. that's true. We've done that both you know, at the city and as a provider of services to government. Uh, the vendors will pay for that. They'll pay for it, and you get to try before you buy. Mm-hmm. And if you don't like it, then there's nothing lost. Yeah, exactly. Well, so, I, I, but, but Gordon, so the key thing that I think needs to happen is that somebody has to be the architect. Somebody has to have the vision of where these pieces all need to go and, you know, over time, build the bigger system. Well, and th- this is one of my biggest complaints about current four-year education systems, even though I work at an educational institution, is we're training specialists. Gone are the days of generalists, people that need to learn about a lot of different things. The definition of a consultant or an analyst is someone that has to learn how you do business. If someone wants me to automate a process, I say, well, first you need to teach me how to do it by hand. Once I know how to do it, then we can build it. We need, in this state especially, we need people that are educated in a wider variety of technologies, a wider variety of disciplines, and that way they have the ability to internally make better decisions and, for God's sakes, make the decisions. This, unfortunately, is a state of pass the buck. You know, make the decision. So what if it's the wrong decision a couple years down the line? You've got a couple years down the line and you've learned from it. Just don't sign a 10-year contract, perhaps. You got it. Uh, no, don't do that. And, you, and I agree. You, got, you, you, have, to, you have to be risk adverse. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's one of the things that, that, that I was fortunate to have when I went in. I mean, city and county. Mo- with yeah. the city and yeah. county. You know, Mufi, love him or hate him. I mean, he gave me the authority to do what we needed to do. Mm-hmm. And I had the, he gave me the authority to take the risks. And you know, the buck stopped here. But he also took responsibility for the buck stopping further up the ladder. So that made my job one heck of a lot easier. And, you know, as a little side story, I remember one time we were implementing a rather significant system, and it was, it was catching all kinds of, of uh, violations of certain laws as a result of that. Now, the department heads were really angry because they felt they couldn't get some, get some, get some things done. But in, in, in retrospect, they were actually breaking the law. And so it fixed that, that law breaking. It got things moved smoother. And I remember Mufi's comment at the cabinet meeting, save the drama for your mama. You're going to do it this way or, or the highway. Uh-huh. And that was it. So we got it done. And that's the key is but, but find someone that's willing to take that risk. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, Brian talked about, you know, don't take the salesman's uh, word for it. And I think some of the problems that businesses face of any size is they don't know what they don't know. And the fact of the matter is the salesman's job is to make you feel sick and then say that they've got the medicine <laughs> for it. But 
that they might not be giving you the best possible solution for your problem. So how does a business who doesn't know about uh, virtualization learn about it or know what they need without talking to a company that would sell them a virtualization solution? Well, in, in our case, yeah, and that's a great qu- great question because we have that happening. A lot of our business is doing that right now. And we go in and we actually do um, – we'll do a study depending on the the depth and breadth that the client wants us to do. But we use tools that are are, are out there. We use COBIT as a measurement tool. So this is – you know, you know COBIT. It's nationally recognized – internationally recognized. It's a tool set. We're not making this up. We're going to go in and say, okay, your industry should be at this level of COBIT. And we look at not all 34 of the things that we measure. We may look at 12 or 10 for you and then say, okay, this is what you need to measure your company on. This is where you are today, and here's what you need to do to get where you want to be mm-hmm. A year from now, two years now, for whatever. And then they then they make the choice. They don't have to use us. They can do it internally or whatever, but now they've got a measurement tool. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then my, I'm a big fan of education, education, education. Um, I, I've been working on the Interop Trade Show now for 20 years. It's a great place. One of the really cool things is the people that actually design and build the uh, Interop Net every year. Uh, it's a greenfield um install every year they will run classes during the show for the attendees and actually talk to you about what went on behind the curtain what were the issues they also run a program called the iLabs where it's emerging technology so this year it's SDN in previous years it's been 10 gig and so forth we've done goofy demonstrations when gigabit ethernet was brand new we did a demonstration of gigabit over barbed wire to show that yes it really does work there's a lot of error correction in there the Interop Trade Show is one of the better places, but invest in your people. Don't just send the senior people. Send the junior people because the more everybody knows about emerging technologies, the better decisions you can make and the better specs you so can So you mentioned write. SDN. What is SDN? Software-defined networks. Um, the easiest way to think of it is it's a cloudy network. Mm-hmm. You shove things in and it pops out where you want it and you don't really care about what's inside. Obviously, your engineering team needs to, but what it does is it gives you the ability to have dramatically more flexible networks that can extend from your local premise all the way up into the cloud, mm-hmm. be it a public cloud or a private cloud. Um, some of the things that we're doing with the Interop Show is we're actually um, having facilities up in Sunnyvale, Denver, and Newark, and they will be as if they were sitting on the trade show floor. Now, you know, Brian, I mean, you've been involved with Interrupt for probably many, many years. And, years. And, and been hanging in there much longer than a lot of the other folks that I know of. I'm curious if you've seen Hawaii uh, IT professionals participate to the degree that you have. Is, are you a unique example of the level of participation from Hawaii? Because, you know, I, I think... What you're describing is a great learning environment, but who else is taking advantage of that from Hawaii? I, I would love to say I'm I'm not unique, but I don't see a ton of Hawaii people at the trade shows. I've gone around to like Microsoft Tech Ed. I've gone to Citrix Synergy, obviously Interop, uh, CS. There are Hawaii people there, but not as many as I would like to see. And I guess... I I, I can, the re, well, the reason is that is that if you're a business and you've got your IT department of two, three, or whatever, mm-hmm. you can't. Never mind. If you can afford to send them, that's okay. But you can't afford to have them not in in office. your yeah. office. That's the problem. You have no depth. You have no bench. Right. And you know the problem with not having a bench is that you depend on those guys, but then you prevent them from perhaps getting 
new knowledge from whatever trade show that exists out there. So they end up sort of being maybe a bit stagnant over time. Exactly. They get five years of experience, but it's one year. Mm-hmm. They say, I've been doing this for five years, but it's one year of experience five times. And it's mm-hmm. the first year mm-hmm. they started mm-hmm. and they've lost it. So, And I'm not going to sales on PAXA, but the beauty of being in a company that just does tech, we have the ability to send people to all these different forums, classes, mm-hmm. get their certifications. We actually pay our employees to get a cert. I mean, we pay and we pay for the cert. Well, and, and so that's, that's different. That's one of the fundamental problems because most of the businesses that you're describing that need this tech isn't in the business of tech. So, you know, if they're if they're flipping burgers, I mean, their main business is flipping burgers. It's not having an IT guy. If they're in. a law firm, they're a law firm. Right. They don't they don't want to be an IT firm. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. But one of the things you don't. I personally don't think you need to know tech if you're a burger joint or a law firm. What you need to know is what you want. I start off every new project with a needs and a wants list. If you can't quantify your needs versus your wants, give up. You've got to know what you want first. You've got to be able to put a box around it. Um, before you start diving in. But if you if you're if you're starting up your burger joint, I mean, who do you go to to answer that question? I yeah. need and I want e- I need and I want email. Now, what does that mean okay. now? Okay. Do you want it do you want it in the cloud? Do you want it do you want it on premise? Do you want a hybrid version of that? I mean, all you want is email. But what kind of email? Do you want encrypted email? Do you need to be p, you know, p- all the different all the different things that are in that particular thing? So it's like I want it, but what flavor? You know, we're this is <laughs> we've barely scratched the surface. I, I can imagine an IT person in a large company listening right now going, "Oh my God, I'm completely overwhelmed." But uh, if somebody wanted more help, wanted to reach out to some of the experts we have here, uh, Gordon Paxa, uh, PACXA Pacific Exabyte, you can go to our website. And Fantastic. I come to the Maker Fair, watch Twiet, Twiet, Twiet. There's a lot of good user groups. Yep. Um, and talk then, to your talk to your peers. Good. And, then and listen you, to Bite Marks Cafe. The, of no, course. No, no. And these guys are available <laughs> if you want to email them. So and Brian Chi, co-hosts this week in Enterprise Tech on the Twit Network. And, of course, Gordon Bruce is the chairman CEO of PAXA. We want to thank you both for joining us today. Our pleasure. Thank you very much. And thank you for listening to Bite Marks Cafe. Now join us next week when we kick off Challenge 2015, our semi-annual pledge drive. And if you miss any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on bitemarkscafe.org. And, of course, if you have any comments or suggestions, feel free to email us at feedback at bitemarks.org. And, of course, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at bitemarks. And you can follow me at Hawaii. Our engineer is David Chong, and our executive producer is Beth Ann Koslovich. And we leave you with our song pick of the week. Here is a band called The Helio Sequence and a song called Stoic Resemblance. Join us next week during Pledge Drive when we start Challenge 2015. <laughs>